Support for this podcast comes from White Rogers. With over 75 years of expertise in heating and cooling controls, White Rogers is proud to offer a full line of furnace controls, gas valves, cooling and heat pump controls, water heater valves and controls, as well as our leading edge thermostats. For more information, go to climate.emerson.com. As adults, we spend between 40 and 60% of our times on this planet doing things we have to do, whether it's working or commuting or running errands or whatever the case is. And uh, I, uh, you know, James James has spent his whole life in pursuit of bettering people. Um, when him and I met up, we were like, we don't want to do this if we can't be happy doing it, right? Yep. We, we, we want to have a good time doing this. Welcome to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International, a show for residential contractors about residential contractors. We chronicle business journeys, share insights, and celebrate successes in this wonderful industry. I'm your host, Bob Houchin. On today's show, you'll be listening to a conversation I had many months ago with James Garner and John Giacomi, owners of CM Heating in Everett, Washington. Originally, I recorded this to be a simple interview meant for a Compass Magazine feature, but the interview was so good, I had to share it with you, our podcast listeners. In 2019, James and John grew CM Heating very profitably from $7.2 to $11.4 million. But that's not the only reason why I find them interesting. It's also their approach to business. They both see CM Heating as a way to truly impact the lives of their team members, customers, and community. In fact, as you'll hear, they strive to become the Disney of HVAC. Let's take a listen. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. Thank, well, hey, first and foremost, thank you so very, very much for your time. Um, I know, uh, you know, heard a lot of great things about what you guys are doing, so I'm very excited to, to you know, learn your story and, and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, I guess first things first, just before I get into your, your background, I wanted to or your backgrounds, uh, wanted to kind of get a scope of the business and how you structure things a little bit. So now you guys, are you completely 100% residential service or do you do any commercial or is 100% residential? Yep, 100% residential retrofit. Awesome. All right. And then uh, let's start from uh, from management on, well, I hate to say on down, but uh, what, what what's your, uh, your management team look like? So uh, James is the president of the company. Uh-huh. Um, I am serving. This is John. I'm serving as a general manager. Okay. We then have a service manager, an install manager, and a uh, customer service manager. Okay. And then uh, their respective departments fall in line below that. Okay. No sales manager. You kind of take that. I'm taking that, yeah. Cool. Very good. Uh, in terms of sales, do you guys believe in selling text? Do you do like comfort advisors, salespeople, a mix of, of both? What do you guys prefer to do? We uh, we do a mix of both. Primarily, our sales are done through sales advisors, dedicated sales advisors. Okay. Uh, but we've had uh, some really good luck recently with uh, selling technicians as a, con- uh, as a concept. Cool. Um, so... How many advisors do you have? We have four full-time advisors and then two other people that sort of dabble on it. Cool. And uh, amongst the uh, the service technicians, 
Um, are they, I'm assuming, are they split up in the maintenance service or you just kind of give the the maintenance to the younger guys or how do you uh, break up that department? That department? So we don't have designated maintenance technicians per se, although junior personnel prim primarily end up doing maintenances. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, we have adopted uh, much of the dispatching for profits concept from SGI and putting the right the right uh, the right opportunity on the right person. So some some of our senior people end up taking the more complicated jobs. Our selling technicians end up taking the jobs that have a higher probability of converting to an installation. And then some of our newer, younger, um, lower cost employees end up taking the maintenance opportunities. Very cool. Okay. How about your install? How many install teams do you guys have? We have eight. We have staff for nine, but we're currently running eight. Okay. Wow. That's great. And uh, how about internally in terms of uh, call center? Uh, what, what kind of call t numbers of call takers, dispatchers? So we have at this time seven people in the in the call taker sort of role, including the customer service manager. Okay. Um, and then two of them also function as. Uh, service dispatchers cool very good well great good this is very helpful I always kind of uh, gives me an idea of, of where to direct questions especially you know with the the sales and then technicians who sell kind of split and how that's handled um, wonderful all right well the uh, what I always really enjoy finding out is uh, kind of a uh, company history and, and how you guys came to be and how you got in the industry so I guess so James did, did you start the business is that what I'm gleaning Actually, my father started the business. Your father started it. Wonderful. What year did uh, your father, well, first of all, what was your father's name and, and what year did he begin the company? Sure. Paul Garner. Okay. And uh, it was in 1983. Uh, the company started actually as Chimney Masters and was doing like chimney cleaning and repair and wood stoves. And then got branched into gas fireplaces and then HVAC starting in the late 80s. Very interesting. I've been doing this a long time. I haven't heard many people uh, <laughs> move from uh, that industry into this industry, but that's that's compelling. Okay, uh, was it just? I guess he saw a need for it and decided to learn it and get you know licensed. And there you go. Yeah. What what happened is he, he started to see the demand for gas fireplaces from doing wood fireplaces, and so he initially just transitioned into gas fireplaces, which then led into. Well, he's doing gas a fireplace in the house, and they had a gas furnace, and so then he started doing the gas furnace, and then um, we really weren't much of a air conditioning and heat pump company until maybe the last eight years prior to that, because my dad's specialty, he was like a, like a master technician on gas fireplaces and gas furnaces, and so the, uh, that was kind of what we tended to specialize in. And then, to actually, prior to that point, if I might jump in, there there wasn't much of a market up here in general for for air conditioning. Okay. Washington markets at uh, Western Washington, anyways, pretty pretty mild summers, and only recently did that become in vogue. Okay, that's interesting. So the company was originally Chimney Masters, and now it's uh, CM Heating or Comfort Masters. So th is that correct? I have the transition correct. Yeah, we had, he changed the name when he started doing HVAC um, and just took the C and the M. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very cool. All right. 
Uh, so, uh, James, when did you uh, when did you get uh, sucked in the old business? I guess were you, as a young man, were you working with dad, or uh, did you stay away from it and felt you know compelled to come back to it at some point? Yeah, I I stayed away. I I was. I was uh, involved mostly in the nonprofit sector as, as in my youth, uh, I, I would work for the business part-time and then I, um, w I like worked at my church and did a lot of those kinds of volunteer or, or nonprofit activities. And then once I got into my mid twenties, it was getting ready to start a family. And so yeah. got involved in the business and, uh, took over pretty quickly as the general manager. Cause my dad was kind of the, your classic technician turned owner where they don't really want to do the, the manager owner stuff. They mostly like the idea of owning a company, but what they want to do is work with customers and fix things yeah. that kind of, yeah. Yeah. But, but good for you. You noticed that uh, you could uh, maybe help him in that area, <laughs> and you need realized he needed help in that area. So, um, all right. So as you transition into, uh, you know, in the heating and then in you know air, um, how did the business grow? Is it always? I know you guys are sizable now, but where was it? You know, I think you said eight years ago you really started to get into that. That. Yes. Yeah. So 2009 was my first my first year um, running the company. Um, when I took over, we were at 1.5 million. Okay. Um, so two point at 2008 was like a 1.5 million dollar, yep. and we'd kind of been at that level for a while. Okay. And um, we we grew a bit, um, like up to like 2.2 in over the next couple years, um, but we were still kind of operating on that that other business, you know, the, the technician turned owner business model where it was kind of the, the hub and spoke system as opposed to, you know, like the organizational model, you could kind of draw it as like him in the middle with yeah. little spokes going out everywhere. And then it became kind of him and me in the middle with spokes going out everywhere. <laughs> so right. that was kind of, you know, and, and that's, that really hamstrings you as an organization. You can, you really can only, grow to the capacity of what one or two people can can divert their attention to at any given time so um, so what he we kind of rolled like that for a little while and then um, in 2012 um, he he had an accident he, he was helping a, a his best friend paint his house and he fell off the roof oh. and he um he actually he spent a couple of weeks in in intensive care and he passed away oh my god i am so sorry yeah it was it was quite a, it was quite a shock too cuz he was a very um vital and energetic person and so that that it was it was a shock to everybody but um he so when that happened we i had things had to change quickly because he was our primary salesperson before that and he so that the company really shifted at that point from kind of being the paul garner company to where i needed to start implementing industry best practices and stuff because i was not him and i was i i was I couldn't have operated the business the way he does because I didn't do the things he did, you know? And so sure. it kind of, it, I was more inclined to, he was more kind of that technician turned owner, but my mindset was a bit more on the let's, let's read about industry best practices and try to implement them kind of a viewpoint. And so, um, 
we hired our first true salesperson right after that. Um, and then, uh, the company started on kind of the, the new path following that. It was certainly a challenging transition for that next year or two, but um, by the time we came out of that difficult transition, the, the company had kind of morphed into the beginnings of what it is now. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Before we keep uh, digging on that, I want to get uh, get John's background. So, John, when when did you start with CM Heating? And actually, you know, even before that, how did you get into the industry? <laughs> well, the, the industry was sort of a chance encounter. Prior to this, I, I've been with uh, CM Heating for almost six years now. Okay. Uh, but prior to this, I was uh, working for a... Um, a building maintenance slash elevator repair slash electrical company down in downtown Seattle metro area and uh, was working fairly comfortably there but uh, there was there were some there were some uh, ideological differences between myself and the uh, VP of the company who was the owner's wife and uh, I, I kind of was in a funky position there. Uh, as, as the middleman between some some arguments between the, 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 the president and the vice president, which was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, I started I started looking, and uh, James James undersells himself a lot, which is 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 uh, very attractive trace, honestly. <laughs> but but. Um, when when him and I met for the first time, uh, I could tell that things were a bit different here. I could tell that the uh, the motor was running at a at a different idle than than it might be at uh, you know your average heating or or contracting company. Mm-hmm. James, as he mentioned, came from nonprofit, and I think that that same sort of that same sort of care and heart uh, that somebody would need to be in that sector was driving this company more than more than profit or turning out as much money as you can per man hour and that kind of thing. That's cool. And uh, and I feel that James and I really clicked yeah. on uh, on on that part. Yeah. And. Um, and so that, that was my entry to the company. James and I happened to click real, real quick, and thankfully I was granted an opportunity to, to come and work for him. Did, now, and, uh, did you answer an ad, or, or how did you guys connect? Oh, yeah, just ad through Craigslist. He answered okay. an ad for a service manager. Okay, for a service manager. That's going to be my next question. All right. James, when he's talking about the hub and spoke thing, I mean, that was – Really, the reality. He was first guy in, last guy out, six days a week uh, for for a long time. I mean, even after I started working here, he was bearing a pretty heavy burden. Right. Um, and and I think that I my position here probably came out of necessity, just because the days weren't getting any longer. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So you said six years ago. That's about 2013. Um, let's see if I if our records are, are right. You guys joined us in in December of 2017. So Correct. talk about those, those kind of four years in between. Uh, you said it got up to about uh, 2.2 million or so. Did you guys get up to about five million by the time you joined us? Is that accurate, or am I did I misread that somewhere? Yeah. What, what happened is that we we were. In two, the end of year 2017, we're at five at five point something ish. 
Okay. Yeah, because what, what had happened is before John came, I, w- I got us from, you know, we, it was 1.5 when I started. I got us up to about 3.5, and then I would kind of stalled out at that level with my, you know, yeah. we had, a, you know, that's where my stuff kind of stalled out, and I needed more help to be able to move past that point. Um, and so that's where John stepped in. And once he was in, he rapidly, um, right away, cleaned up our... Um, online reputation management which is something that i had I'd like kind of given up on yelp and um you know like their algorithm drove me crazy and i was just like you know what i'm done with this i'm not i'm not even gonna worry about it you know and so john came in and he was like oh no this he knew how to handle all that stuff and he jumped in and cleaned that up and that made a, a, a significant difference right away right you're not the only one that's given up on yelp <laughs> yeah. lots yeah. of people that feel the same way um all right, well, so very good. So you guys clicked right away. Just talked about, I mean, the revenue numbers are very attractive for sure. Uh, but how was the, you know, I'm hearing the, the long hours. Well, how was the health of the business? Was it profitable? I mean, were you making one or two points on it? Or, or were you, you know, were you making a good good profit, but you're just tired of, of working constantly? Kind of, what, what led you to, to us? Uh, well, so the, mo- modestly, I will say modestly profitable up into that up to that point. Uh, but James and I were in a situation where, again, we we I think just from a core concept level, thought about the dis- the business a bit differently. Yeah. We wanted everyone to win, uh, but him and I both came from outside of the industry. James mentioned that you know he didn't have the technical background or interest for that matter uh, that that his father did. Yeah, and um, it seemed like we were just through trial and error, kind of figuring out how to run this thing uh, on our own without a whole lot of guidance. Right. And um, when we were first introduced to SGI, I mean, I'll be honest, Tim and I met with it with quite a bit of skepticism. Sure. We've both engaged in seminars and things that we associate as being similar types of uh, organizations as SGI sure. and uh, and we're pretty wary of it based on our own experiences. Right. But uh, we, we happen to have a, a person show up at one of these uh, meetings that was a, a very strong testimony for us. Oh, okay. Who was and, it? Um, and, uh, you know, that, that really engaged us, I think. Um and uh, it provided what we were looking for at the time, which was sort of a playbook. So we didn't have to like try and reinvent any of the, all of these things. It was a list of tried and true best practices that were used sort of nationwide. And if you just follow the recipe, the end product should be should be good at that point. And then we also, frankly, we were at a point where both of us were kind of like, is this worth it? You know, if 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 the way it will always be is grumpy. <laughs> grumpy guys that you're that don't really want to be doing the work and you know constant churn and turmoil and putting out fires and like if that's just the way this is we were like you know i don't we don't know if we want to do this and so um we were we kind of were at that crossroads when we found sgi and um and then, you know, once we made the decision to really clean house and make the culture changes, it was like a whole, a whole new world. Yeah. 
That's awesome. That's fantastic. So, so it starts with uh, you know obviously going to to executive perspective. So you guys join. Um, well, you fly down to Dallas. What a couple weeks after, or a month after? How soon? Yeah, I, I flew down. Uh, was it early January? Was it? Yeah, January. Yeah, January 2018. Okay, very good. And and what what were your were your takeaways uh, from that you know almost week long event? Did you, did, you know, were you overwhelmed or you're like, okay, we do a lot of this stuff, but here's a few things that we definitely don't do. Did you leave with a list of things you wanted to accomplish from the event? Yeah, well, for, first of all, and I'm, I don't want to say, like, you might have to either exclude this or temper it so it doesn't get to the guy's head, but yeah. Michael Zeller was very impressive to, to us right away. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so like, I will uh, absolutely temper it. I can't tell Michael. <laughs> Michael, yeah, I don't want it to come across as a puff piece or anything, but <laughs> Teller was he was he was impressive to us right away. Yeah, and the way he just talked about business um, really really made sense, and it jived with the I think the ideals that uh, James and I had uh, had approached doing business with. But um, the one of the biggest takeaways. To the success a bit more. Let's let's get a little more granular with some of the the changes. I mean, you mentioned some of the you know immediate ones we always hear about. Um, you know, image. So you guys were not wearing uniforms before. You guys were just wearing, wearing jeans and like a, a t shirt or a sweatshirt or what? What were they doing? Ish. Ish. <laughs> well, so we we were wearing uniforms, okay. and uh, depending on what department we're talking about, okay. we either exceeded or met the sort of status quo for our market. Yeah. But the status quo for our market is fairly low. Like when we go to uh, dealer meetings or uh, trainings that are hosted by our distributors, those sorts of things, yeah. um, the, the status quo, it, it, 
house, you know, like people showing up to jobs with their shirts covered in mastic and, and silicone and stuff yeah. and showing up looking like they had just gotten done working somewhere else. Right. Um, we, we probably met that again. I'll, I'll be honest. I was the t-shirt and jeans guy for a long time. Sure. Uh, I've got tattoos down my arms and stuff. And, yeah. you know, if, if the general manager is setting that tempo, everybody else falls in line. Like, attitude reflects leadership, right? Yeah, very true. So going going to EP and, and hearing about, I mean, it, honestly, it started falling in line with, uh, with what we wanted we had this sort of concept of being the Disney of HVAC. Okay. And if you go to, if you go to Disneyland, it's clean, pristine everywhere you go. Right. right. I mean, you could eat off the floor there halfway through the day. It's right. And, um, and so people pay more for that Disney experience because of, of the, the value statement that they provide. And we felt that image was a very strong component of our value statement as well. And certainly if we we're going to charge what we needed to charge to, uh, to eventually get out of this, like day by day fire putting out sort of situation yeah. that we we're going to need to present pretty strongly. Yeah, for sure. Any other value components? Because, you know, the big thing we always hear with, EP is there's there's two things we want people to get out of it is hey you need to increase the value and you need to increase your price so you know you talked about uniforms with that value I mean was there anything else that you were like we need to improve this so we can charge this um, uniforms I mean I guess you guys already had a call center in place you were answering calls as they came in you know guarantees anything get changed in that regard where people go oh yeah I see the value and and CM heating, and I know why I'm paying more for a system versus, uh, you know, Joe down the street. Yeah, the, the, uh, the SGI uh, guarantee set for airtime was something that we deployed pretty quickly to the uh, satisfaction guarantee, um, no hassle guarantee, no lemon guarantee, and down the line. Yeah. Those, we, we felt those were pretty compelling. Um and then we, uh, yeah, so we put those out pretty quick and made a modest price adjustment at that time. Okay. And it wasn't really until this this year where we're like, look, we could, we could, our closing percentages are higher than they've ever been. We can charge more than we we currently are, and we made a much larger price increase this year, which is. Uh, led to both top line and bottom line growth. So I'm just trying to uh, jump around on some of the basics we always talk about. Straightforward pricing, did you put that in place for, for service? Yeah, we did indeed. Okay, how did that? How, how was that received by uh, the team? I mean, were you using a flat rate guide at some point before then? Or were you doing T&M or what were you doing? We were doing T&M and uh, we were doing T&M. And actually, I think the transition was pretty easy for us when we went straight forward. I mean, it's uh, sorry, just a moment. Well, we were we were using a calculation that roughly equated to time and material, where it was yeah, it was, it was like home 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 cooked <laughs> yeah home cooked flat rate, but we were doing it per repair, okay. right? We would we would line out what the, the valve costs and then how much time, and then there was like a a, a computer and, uh, that we would put things through to get our pricing for it. So basically, every time we went out to a job and performed a repair, we had to price it individually, and then uh, it, you know, we didn't really think about it until after we implemented uh, straightforward pricing, but a customer is 
unsure about how these things go. You know, there's yeah. a there's reason people get so many quotes and are so skeptical skeptical of doing contractor work is that you have no idea what sort of markup this person's putting on things or how much money they're adding in so that they get a bonus or whatever the case is. And I mean, every transaction we were doing was that basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we priced out every single service job individually, whereas when we employed uh, straightforward pricing, the price is right there. No, we give you the price instantaneously. It's black and white. There's no modification of the price unless we're reducing it because you're on a club membership. Yeah. And then on the part of the technicians, like they don't have to do any sort of computing or have that awkward conversation with a customer. It's, it was a, a very nice concept. Um, I guess uh, in terms of just thinking of some of the things that are generally talked about at EP, you know, um, how about your numbers? I mean, you guys had a business, you're making money, you know, were you departmentalized properly? I mean, do you know where you were making money in, in, in replacement and service or where things maybe weren't as profitable as you thought they may have been initially? Are you talking about pre, pre-EP? Yeah, pre-EP then po- compared to like where you are today. Yeah, we were, we were departmentalized properly, um, mostly properly anyways, uh, and we knew where we were making money. Actually, I shouldn't say that. We had a we had a vague understanding of where we were making money and where we were losing money, Right. Uh, and it always seemed like service, for instance, was a, a, a component that we were having problems with. So it was a people issue, maybe, uh, and why you weren't making money, and now you've got a, the right service manager in place. Yeah, it was a people and an understanding, just a business understanding standpoint. So we found we found the right guy, and then found the right way to, to figure out what the department's actually producing for us. Was there what other, what other big changes, or can you pinpoint it that maybe? Help? I'm just trying to think if I can. You know, qualify it as an article. Maybe some other people benefit from your, you know, your. Uh, yeah. Well, what, one one thing that kind of came out of this is that we, um, you know, we were really able to uh, something that kept coming up in books we'd read or things we I we would see is there would always be a lot of focus on service, which seemed counterintuitive to us because it was like, well, we we seem to be really pretty clearly be making all our profit from install. So like, why is there all this attention on service and stuff? And, and it, it is kind of a widespread oddity in our industry because where you make your money is install. And so once we joined SGI network, it was like, yeah, we expect you to do 80%. 75, 80% in install. And we expect you to make your money out of install. And I was like, oh, okay, great. So <laughs> we just were like, all right, well, that, that fits with what our observations. And so we just kind of adopted the, the viewpoint of all roads lead to install. Like everything we do, the the ideal situation is that we are replacing that equipment. That's, that's like, that is what we are obviously in an ethical way and we wanted to benefit the homeowner, but 
from a business model, it was like, okay, well, our business model is that's the objective. And so it, it, it refined what, what really changed for us is we went, okay, for service, we told our service, our service manager when he was hired right away, your job is to feed install. Yes. Uh, your job is to feed install. And when once we started doing that and having that be the focus, we went from like, okay, well, how much service revenue can we generate to, yes, we want to generate service revenue, but we want to have that road ultimately lead to install. And now our new customer average per, we work with um, Stochastic Marketing, which is a yeah. contact through SGI also. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we're, we've recently been doing $2,900 plus per new customer on average. So we are doing a, a very good job of taking that new opportunity and and funneling it to, you know, or, you know, directing it to into a new installation, which is really what our business model is centered around. That's great. That's great. Uh, and I'm going to have a question that follows up with it. I have one more last introductory type EP question. Were you guys always doing a maintenance agreement or a club membership? Yes. Okay. So you had that component. So has is that changed at all or has that pretty much stayed the same? I mean, no, we, we still have one that we, uh, that we employ. Uh, we have adjusted the way that we use it right now. Like, for instance, we really find that the value in it, especially in our market, we're very, very seasonal. So super heavy in the fall and pretty heavy in the early summer now. Yeah. Um, and with big, big down times in, in the opposite seasons. Sure. And so we've uh, we've altered it to make sure that the customer's understanding is, is that we're doing these in the slow times, and so uh, so there's been there's been quite a bit of value in it for us okay. to do. Very good, very good. All right, uh, okay. Just to go back to what we were talking about and how you modified service, so you understood that it fed the, the replacement department. To me, that it's a mindset issue and really it's a training issue. So um, I guess when when you put this new service manager in place, for him to get your text to understand that 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 probably meant training, right, or, or at least communicating with them. So what did he do uh, to get your service guys to understand the value of flipping, you know, rather than just trying to drive up a service ticket, the value of, of turning that, um, you know, that ticket rather into a, into a flip lead to a salesperson or a selling tech. How, how did that process go? Was it training every day? Was it just talking about it every day or what, you know? Well, I, I actually had that conversation with him recently and he, what he said is that he, you know, it was, it was emphasizing it and then he put a... Um, he proposed and implemented a tiered, um, a tiered compensation structure where there were fixed, fixed amounts of money you'd make for each lead, and then if, once you reached a certain level or quantity of leads, it like doubled. Okay. So, so you had, you had. It was mostly a, a focus and incentives adjustment where it was like directing people's attention to it, and then he gave them. Some pretty big carrots to chase for um, for quantity of of leads, and we started to have people separate themselves from the pack as far as who could flip those leads 
most effectively and then it wasn't so much like a role play or or it was kind of like an organic thing where he could see he just paid attention to who was having success and feeding those people the opportunities who were having success and then people that they knew would be like wow look at that guy's that guy's killing it on the, the leads and so they would kind of naturally want to seek that out for themselves and then some people wouldn't some people are not wired that way and so they just are fed different opportunities yep they're they're the ones who are tuning up the two-year-old uh, furnace right so right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very good okay so you're dispatching for profits really yeah it's what you were doing you're taking the hot hand and letting them uh, get the juicy lead which totally makes yeah but, and, and with the added thing though of the 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 right kind of incentive program to really encourage that behavior. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, how did, uh, let's see, where do I want to take this? Uh, well, how, how, what, what do you guys do for training? I mean, do you have, do you do training every week? Uh, I mean, you know, that's just a big component of what we teach. How, you know, did you start doing it since, once you joined us? Was it something you always did? Uh, what, what's your philosophy on training? Sure. We, that was an area that, for me, I I um I've I had an interest in education reform and stuff in the past, and that was a the training stuff was a big factor for me. Where I I think it in the in even predating John even with it, I I was very interested in training, and I tried to do you know we've tried a lot of the sort of. Uh, structured training over the years where you kind of people tend to want to sit you in a classroom and talk to you or come in and have you all sit in a meeting and talk and and we have just found that that does is 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 a waste of time it that is not how most people learn and especially is not how people in our industry learn these are hands-on individuals and an apprentice an apprenticeship style training is been by far the most effective for us uh and so we we do um we do a lot of ride-alongs and we are having people you know see it happen in the real world and then imitate it in the real world and get coached on it and improve and so that's that's really been the system and, and, and a change we made recently that's been very helpful we in service, we have a field service manager now where um, our service manager is not technically trained. And so um, he handles the the administrative and <coughs> leadership and coaching stuff from, um, I guess, selling and uh, kind of process. And then we have somebody working in the field. That's great. And does he just, does he just bounce around and help on different jobs? And then always his phone's probably constantly buzzing with questions. Yeah. So he his uh, his actual job duties vary day by day. But if, so, for instance, if we have a new technician, he would be riding with the technician and focus on them. Otherwise, uh, bounce to difficult jobs where people need help or focus on one particular technician for the course of a week or whatever to enhance a certain skill set. Right. So, you know, uh, furnaces tend to be one of the easier things that people pick up on. And once they get familiar with that, somebody who might want to graduate into a refrigerant system, then he would spend some time with them to, to dedicate it. Got it. Got it. So the guys that, that have been with you for a while, um, you know, like you said, you've got a handful of, uh, of techs that are, are, are good salespeople 
now. Do you do anything with them? That do they, you know? Do you guys get together at any point to kind of talk and trade notes about? Okay, this is working for me. This is working for me. Or how do you handle this type of a situation where a customer says, "Oh, I want to get another bid." I mean, do you guys do any kind of meeting about that? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. So as far as uh, as far as meeting and stuff like i don't know that we call them dedicated training but meetings we we huddle and meet all the time now we have a we have a full company meeting at least once a month we have a departmental meeting at least once a week sales department meeting once a week and so uh we discuss strategy and stuff and those things quite often i will say that uh James and I both agree that classroom-based training is uh, is not ideal for for the development of people. But uh, the SGI um, sales consultant class and that whole process, the, the SGI sales process, is worth the price of admission on its own. That's great. To that, that that has been amazing for us. That's great. Well, so I mean, Go ahead. What, what happened was I I went down and uh, and we tweeted a little bit to, to match our own company branding and uh, strengths. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, and then I I have been uh, mentoring people as they come in, but um, that that whole process has been amazing. Well, what is your uh... What does your recruiting, what does your interview process look like so you know that you, you find the quality people that want to deliver value versus just someone who's a you know huckster and wants to sell really quick? I mean, do you use any kind of a personality profile or how many rounds of interviews do you guys do? Would you mind kind of outlining that? Yeah, um, so th- this may be a little bit against the grain here, but the, the more we refined our uh, recruiting process, the more we've realized that hiring a lot of the time is guessing. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we, I'm sure many of your people you've talked to have mentioned that finding, finding talent in our, in their markets is difficult, especially labor talent. People are actually producing hundred percent. Yeah. And, uh, so we, uh, when we put ads out, we do a good initial screen of what a, a candidate's experience appears to be, mm-hmm. and then meet with them with the uh, with the intent to first figure out if they are not an evil person. Like <laughs> with, with the intent to first figure out if if this person could fit at the Disney of HBC. Right. Could fit. At, you know, in, in an environment where we put culture basically above all else, if you fit the culture, we'll figure out a way to make you work. Right. Um, and once we have satisfied that requirement, we put them in a position that matches their, their skills and their interests and groom them from there. Uh, but the, the interviewing process, the initial screening and stuff outside of, you know, just a, a, a core understanding of what this person says their their experiences and getting some basic understanding of it through through questions that might not be answerable by somebody who didn't have those core competencies. Yeah. Outside of outside of that initial screening, it's all based on whether or not a customer would want to hang out with this person. Yeah. Okay. And and, and that's all done in that initial screening. You can figure you from there you you'll you extend an offer. 
uh, depending on the person. Yeah, we uh, depending on the person and the position, we may do multiple interviews. But many of our technical positions, uh, we you work on company. We we need the talent, and uh, if we think somebody seems to be a good person from a culture standpoint, yeah. we will give them the opportunity. If they need some training and are open to it. We are very, very willing and able to invest in the success of our employees. And you know, if uh, if it doesn't seem to be the way it appeared initially, and perhaps they don't fit the culture, yeah. and there are uh, there are plenty of opportunities for some somebody who um, who's a good performer who may not be you know good culture fit for us. For sure. So, most are, are are the majority of the people that are coming aboard are from outside of the industry. We, uh, I think, I think there's a fair blend at this point, especially in our install department. One thing that we noticed was when we started focusing on culture and being this super happy place to work, yeah. was that our our uh, talent pool suddenly got much, much larger. Like it's, it used to be, it used to be so difficult for us to find people. Right. And uh, now we find good people pretty regularly and have to, you know, enhance our screening process and just pick the cream of the crop, which is a, a, a excellent problem to have. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but with many of our positions, We've had fantastic success, again, finding that great personality and then teaching them the skills to be successful in our company. Sure. So let's say, uh, you know, uh, I'm a service technician. You really like my personality. I've been doing it for maybe four or five years. Uh, but, you know, do you have them right along with another one of your, you know, experienced people you've had with you for a long time and trust you? You'll know, have them ride along for a week or so or a couple of days just to get a better feel, or, or do you trust them to go in a van right away, or what's that? Uh... Oh, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, somebody coming from outside of the industry must must pass the culture exam for us, which lasts a few weeks. Okay. Like, they, we must observe them uh, just displaying the characteristics of a culture-positive company right on site and in practice with with our customers right. and then uh say i'm a totally green to the industry like i don't i you know i barely know what the tools are how, how fast can you get uh someone kind of doing maintenance um you know i, I know you said ride-alongs i'm assuming as a kind of an apprentice type i'm you know is it six weeks or a couple months or way longer than that i've heard all sorts of things over the years That it it depends greatly depending on the, the person that you're that you're working with. Right. Um, on average, I think we'd fall into that four to six week mark for before they can start doing basic maintenances. But uh, if somebody just demonstrates a really strong personality, really good culture fit, yeah. if they need additional time, we'll we'll put whatever time we need into it if we feel like we're going to get a return on that investment. Support for this podcast comes from Minuteman Press de Pair. Minuteman Press de Pair is a complete marketing service provider offering professional design services, complete mail services, variable data printing, and digital publishing, as well as traditional offset and on-demand digital printing. Our professional staff is happy to help manage your project from design through production and on-time delivery. We've worked directly with SGI since 2001 and specialize in marketing your business. For more information, go to depair-minutemanpress.com. Dot net.
Welcome back to the show. We talked to James and John of CM Heating last about how they recruit and train. And during the rest of this conversation, we'll talk about some of the fun activities CM Heating does to foster culture. And we'll see what James and John see in the business's long-term future. Let's jump back into the conversation. You know, we talked about performance, and I, I want to get into kind of how you guys manage performance. But uh, before I get a little more in-depth in that, you know, a big part, you know, we talked about, you know, compensation, how you compensate service guys for flipping leads. Um, but a lot about, you know, what we talk about at is like, you know, you got to make sure everyone knows where everyone stands uh, in terms of their numbers. Do you guys, did you start using scoreboards to kind of create that gentle pressure of uh, a performance? Or, you know, do you do that? Do you not? One of the concepts that we got through both uh, SGI and uh, a good little book slash parable called The One Minute Manager, which I'm sure you're aware of, Absolutely. is is setting clear expectations and, and giving immediate feedback. Yeah. And uh, so we have, depending on the department, um, a version of a basically a straightforward compensation structure with a straightforward uh, straightforward understanding of why somebody is making what they're making. Okay. So, as a, as a for instance, we're big dorks here, by the way. So, <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll have to forgive some of the dorkiness. That's okay. We have, uh, I don't, don't think that's that bad, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> for our install department, we have. Uh, we have uh, a program called the D&D program, like Dungeons and Dragons, okay. but instead it's, it's d- diking and ductwork. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is weird because we don't sell diking anymore, but anyway. Yeah. Um, we uh, basically, what, every person gets like their own character sheet, okay. and there's a list of different skills on there. Um, which can either be technical skills, so for instance, like brazing or fabricating sheet metal transitions or blah, and then uh, another section for soft skills like uh, customer interactions, uh, appearance, driving, and so on. Yeah. And uh, people are given a grade between one and, and five on these things. One basically meaning you can't do it at all. Five meaning you can do it to a point where you could train other people to do it. Okay. And, um, and so everyone is given one of these sheets and evaluated on a regular basis through our project manager team in the install department and, uh, and given a, uh, based on the number of points you have, you're given a hourly wage. Your hourly wage doesn't go down. It only goes up. Um, and if your points dip below, a certain point where you're making like your points level is showing a hourly wage below what you're actually making. We put together an action plan to get your performance back up to where you should be. Okay. Now the benefit to that, especially in the install department, which uh, is, is drives our economic engine here Yeah. and was historically the department where we had the hardest time finding talent yeah. and finding and retaining talent. Okay. Uh, it created this ladder where if people understand exactly where they're at at any given point in time and know exactly what they need to improve on to get whatever result it is, in this case money per hour, that people put a heck of a lot more effort into their own development. And so we've had people that uh, have come on that have been totally green to the industry 
uh, now perform at excellent lead quality level within a year of employment where before like it took a very long time to develop honestly we've we had very few people develop from leads from uh, assistants to leads yeah and, and the people that did it took them quite a bit of time whereas now in a, in a year maybe a year and a half tops we could put them on any type of job that the company does and expect good results that's awesome yeah, and then so we've got a similar structure for the uh, for the service department as well. So everyone knows exactly where where they are at at any given point in time. How often are they graded on this? Is it a weekly thing? Is it a monthly thing? Quarterly? So for the service department, it's done monthly. Okay. For the install department, it's live. So the second somebody's point value becomes. Uh, becomes uh, worthy of a, a pay adjustment, it happens. Okay. So it's a living, breathing document at any given point in time. Wow. Okay. And um, if someone, you start noticing, okay, you said when you start noticing that the point values go below what their hourly wage is, that necessitates a plan. I mean, what is that? Is that just like daily meetings with their manager or the install manager? Or is it uh, like what is... What does that look like to get them back on, you know, good, in a good graces and bet performing where they where they're supposed to be? So the the restoration plan, which which is what we're calling it currently, but the restoration plan to the, did, uh, is very person and situation dependent. So, for instance, if somebody's performance is going down technically because they're losing sleep, because so and so and their family is ill, or they're going through some other economic challenge or something like that, if their their own plan might look much different than if uh, somebody is just having trouble grasping the concepts of like cutting and bending sheet metal so it's uh it's uh the actual plan will depend person to person and situation to situation but uh they um they are managed through regular interactions or uh apprenticeship from either our install manager or one of our project managers okay that's fascinating that's really interesting where did did this uh genesis of form like where did that idea come from uh, it, that was uh, that was a brainchild. James and I worked on that for for that specific purpose. We were thinking like, man, wouldn't it be great if there was some sort of structure where people could just understand where they're at? Yeah. Like, so here's here's part of it, right? We really want to be that. We use the Disney of HVAC all the time, man. So you're gonna have to forgive the, uh, the repetition. But we wanted to be we wanted to be that company that truly improve people's lives. Like anyone we touch, they're better off from having that interaction with us. And so people from what we gather in most companies that work work for HVAC companies or any company for that matter, a company, a person will work there for call it six months or a year or something. And then they go, Hey man, I haven't had a raise in a while. I should go talk to my boss. And then it becomes this weird thing where you're like sort of negotiating a against your boss like hey man i've been here for a year look what i've done i should be worth blah and then your boss goes oh i don't know i gotta watch the bottom line maybe i'll give you blah and then and then you end up meeting somewhere in the middle and it 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 didn't it it seemed out of alignment like that's that's those are opposing forces those aren't uh those aren't uh you know complementing forces yeah we wanted to figure out a way where we could turn the whole 
personal development and wage structure into something that was productive for both the company and for the employee. And if an employee was the right guy, they would want to do better. And in by doing better, they should earn a appropriate wage for their production. It's totally merit-based, right? And then that better performing person is going to turn out better product for us at a lower, you know, at a lower time on site with a lower percentage of callbacks, which will in turn generate higher profit for us. So we spent spent a lot of time calculating how we could uh, do forms like this or programs like this for our employees so that everybody won. That's yeah. That had to take a lot of time. <laughs> but, it took some time, man. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's paying off. It's paying off. Um, while we just kind of are talking about compensation, then we get into something else. Your sales guys are they all commission or how are, how are those guys uh, compensated? Yes, sir. Hundred percent commission. Hundred commission. Great. And um, you know this this Disney of um, of HVAC concept, which I, I think it's awesome because it's a good. You know, it's a great idea. It, you know, it, it, I'm sure, it, you know, it really, it seems to define your company culture. So, uh, you know, how did you, because you said earlier, recruiting's gotten a lot easier because you're getting more and more people that are like, wow, this is a great place to work. So how did that shift? Like, this is always my hardest question to ask because I never know how to quite say it. But, you know, over the last, what, couple of years, how have you, what have you done? Is this all this incremental change that's created a, a friendlier and a better business to work for, or what are some things that really got people on board with? Like, I really love working at CM Heating, and I'm going to tell everybody I know in the industry that they need to come work here. So what what created that? Well, there's a lot to it, right? So um, James mentioned that him and I, before we got involved with SGI, were at a point where we we're like, do we even want to keep doing this? Yeah. Like, if you know, do, do you come from the trades by any chance, Bob? Not at all. I'm a rider by trade. <laughs> That's Got my it. trade. Yeah. But I've been doing so, this for 16 years, so I, I, I have a pretty good flavor of what, what's going on. Yeah, so, I, I mean, the, if you just think of, like, a union, for instance, like your union sheet metal or, or, or iron worker or something along those lines, yeah. it's real gruff and rough around the edges and people curse at each other and there's lots of yelling and finger pointing and stuff. Right. And, um... Uh, you know, our, our technicians by and large seem to be cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I grew up in Southern California. My, my grandfather actually, uh, worked as a, uh, as a landscaper, um, for, for Disney. Like he, he owned a company. Yeah. And so he, he, uh, kind of, put a bunch of this fantastical crap in my mind that I've poisoned James and some of our other coworkers with. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as adults, we spend between 40 and 60% of our times on this planet doing things we have to do, whether it's working or commuting or running errands or whatever the case is. And, uh, I, uh, you know, James, James has spent his whole life in pursuit of bettering people. Mm -hmm. Um, when him and I met up, we were like, we don't want to do this if we can't be happy doing it. Right. We, we, we want to have a good time 
doing this. And in order to have a good time doing this, we must be surrounded by people who are having a good time doing this. And so we started focusing on the user experience for our, uh, for our coworkers here, as far as how people's journey within the company was, was rolling out. And, um, we found that at the time we were, we were very much meeting the status quo, which was, uh, burning people out until they, uh, have produced sufficient profit for us that, uh, that they're now burnt out and, uh, and could literally knock on any other door and make an, another dollar an hour somewhere else. Yep. Um, so we, uh, we started doing things like four day rotating work weeks, uh, for our, for our coworkers so that they, um, so every month they've got a four day weekend and, uh, can spend time with family and a uh, very robust benefits package and, uh, company events where we can all just go and hang and have fun and the departments which used to be at odds with one another can intermingle and really appreciate what everyone brings to the table regardless of where uh, where they come from um so we ended up making the company just a, a much more culture forward place to work um with the expectation that you know we're providing all of this the company must also win and so we're going to expect elite level performance out of everyone who's a part of it right so so we set the standard and then uh and then have done a very consistent uh, job of of promoting said standard but uh, i'll be honest uh, the the biggest factor in in anything culture related is just making sure you've got the right people on the bus. Sure. And so we, we, uh, we got rid of the people that were poisoning well and brought in, uh, you know, I, James will say the exact same thing. We feel incredibly fortunate to have the people working there. Like I, I don't, James is a super smart guy. I don't know. I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of a dummy, but if I have, if I, if I have any, if I have any talent whether it's conscious or not, it seems to have been finding just people with awesome personalities yeah. that, uh, that want to be a part of something great. That's awesome. Is yeah. there, do you find it? Cause I think, I don't know. I, I kind of tend to think I'm, I'm kind of like that. Um, you just kind of know, right, when you start talking to people, if they if they give you a certain, you can kind of tell within five or ten minutes if this is someone that that's going to fit. The, you bet. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, let's see. I heard uh, through the grapevine you guys had, I think, a few months ago, what a million dollar month. Yeah, we had uh, we had our first million dollar month uh-huh. in uh, in August, and then have had a couple since then. That's awesome. And you guys like rented out a theater, or you did something fun to kind of celebrate it, or what did you do? Yeah, so uh, we rented out a uh, a theater that serves alcohol and stuff, and had a like an adult movie, not an adult movie night. That sounds bad. <laughs> we had a, we had a movie. <laughs> hey, we had a there movie. you go, Disney. No, uh, no. <laughs> We're oh, real personal here, Bob. Everyone's in everyone's business. <laughs> oh, we, there's all sorts of ways I could take that, but no, I know. What you're about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, we rented out a movie theater and uh, served uh, served drinks and dinner, um, catered in. Um, 
and uh, watched uh, the the new Tarantino movie just oh. as a group and stuff in a real social setting. Yeah, and uh, and just had a great time. And I, honestly, it was so cool. Just. You know, we, we thought of it as a, for, for what these people have done for us collectively as a company, we felt like it was a pretty small token, honestly. But just seeing everyone so jazzed, like, oh, my God, I've never been with a company who's done something like yeah. this, man. I mean, like, it was it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, what are some of the other social things you've done? You Because people are always looking for ideas, so maybe they read this and, and you know, they'll they'll steal one of yours. Is there anything other fun things you've done with the, co- the whole company? Yep, so uh, barbecues, uh, uh, baseball games, football games, hockey games, uh, other social gatherings that are sort of ad hoc where it's like, hey, something new is coming up. Like, again, we're we're big Disney goofs and goobers and other variety. Oh, for instance, yeah, so one of our our coworkers, Mark, is – he is part of a costuming group for Star Wars, like the official costuming group. And uh, and so he's a part of this big group that puts on a, um, a charity-based... Uh, what do you want to call it? Ball, like a like a ball. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and so we had a giant turnout to this thing, and all the proceeds go to charity, and we all got to dance and in, in like prom dresses and stuff, and have have a good time and drink and yeah. So it's cool, man. I mean, like everyone here, I think would consider everyone else a friend, and it just makes working. It's it's great because. I'm inclined to say that most companies that do that do it at the expense of performance. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to be friendly with someone and then hold them accountable. Right. But the, the, the way things have fleshed out, finding the right people and then finding the right sort of accountability processes yeah. as so that everyone can be friendly with one another and, and still produce at a very high level. Right, right. So, How frequently do you aim to do these things? We do formal things at least three times a year, and then we do other stuff just uh, when it comes up. But I'd say we do six or seven sort of social functions per year. Okay, that's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any, you know, anything else I, I can, you know, with. When trying to, again, create this Disney atmosphere, we talk a lot about core values and, and value, you know, value statements and stuff like that. Um, is, have you defined any of that for the team so they always kind of keep in mind these are our core values and our mission statement, stuff like that? Or, or, or is it Oh, just- yeah, that, that stuff is shoved down our, our coworkers' throats all day long, <laughs> partner. But uh, one, of, one of, so Brandon, uh, the gentleman who took over our service department, um, and service manager isn't really an apt title for him because he he um, his responsibilities extend well beyond the service department at this point. Uh-huh. But he's he's one of these guys who's got the gift for gab and, and culture is uh, something he does an excellent job at uh, at sort of um, disseminating in the group but um we one of one of my favorite things that he brought to the company is our is our core value set very simple to follow do right look sharp be great oh cool okay and so we've got that we've got that put everywhere do right look sharp be great yeah and if you can just remember those three things 
you'll you'll know what to do in any given situation here. That's awesome. So you guys talk about it every meeting. It's all over the walls. Uh, it's yeah, but every meeting, literally all over the walls. Uh, our, our interconnected Facebook group, which is uh, we've got like an internal Facebook group okay. where we do where we just sort of socialize when we're not at work. Yeah. Um, like the name of that group is Do Right, Look Start, Be Great. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got it everywhere. That's awesome. That's great. Um, just kind of wrapping up, you know, um, let's see here. Well, I don't want to leave out, you know, I always feel bad. The call center always gets overlooked. Is, is, have you done much to tweak? I mean, we talked about dispatching for profits. Uh, how has that, that department evolved since, uh, since joining us, you know, over the last couple of years? So, uh, a couple of key points. Number one, again, the, the right people is is incredibly important especially probably in the customer service department it's very top of funnel we have a number of uh we have a number of very highly rated competitors in our market that do a version of the same thing we do and so we need to capture that customer's attention right away yeah and so we we hire you know we hired Disney, Disney caliber uh, personalities who are going to charm the pants off of anybody who calls right away. Yeah. Um, so we needed a leader in that department, and we were fortunate enough to find uh, somebody named Renee, who actually comes for a, to us via uh, Nordstrom, oh. which another another company known for their customer service and, and uh, high quality. <laughs> but she worked for us for about a year and a half and was promoted to our call center uh, manager position. And her her own influence uh, and um, and uh, example have really set the tempo for for our crew, and it also sort of developed the archetype for the type of person we're looking for. Got it. Got it. Um, but then, uh, but then we also implemented the SGI processes as far as dispatching for profits, making sure the right people is not, the right people are on the right job, uh, qualifying leads. For, uh, appropriately so not every lead you know is is created equal in our busy time and we have to prioritize high high value high need situations yep. um so that that whole qualification process paired with just getting the, the right charming personalities on the phone has, has uh, been fantastic for us that's great that's great now are uh, are they doing happy calls like after uh you know, after the service call, after the install, to, to check in with the homeowner, make sure they're okay. Is that part of the process? That's uh, that is part of the process, depending on uh, depending on flow. Uh -huh, sure. We have uh, this might be actually worth mentioning here. Um, we have a, a very strong partnership with Make a Wish of Alaska and Washington. Oh, okay. And um, we have a uh, a partnership with them where it's, it's several, but like we make donations to them. Uh, several of us volunteer, like I've been a wish granting volunteer for several years now with them. Um, we, we donate our services as it's appropriate for certain jobs. Like certain people who have mobility issues may wish to have like a hot tub installed and we'll like do their electrical work for free or blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But uh, a game changer for us has been, um, has been 
our, uh, I, I guess you could, you would call it like a reputation partnership. Okay. Anytime we get a review of any star rating or anything like that, we make a uh, we make a donation to Whoa. Make a Wish. What a good idea! And so because of that, we have never heard that before. Become, yeah, we're the we're the very top rated HVAC company in Washington State right now because of it, Definitely. and it's a win 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 situation, right? A customer is incentivized in a feel good way to yeah. present their honest feedback, whether it's good or bad, to us. Yeah. Most of those people who have an overwhelming positive experience with us who might not have been inclined to re- leave a review before now leave them, yeah. and we get to donate great uh, we get to donate to a great uh cause because of it that's awesome well, how so much we have do you know how much we have like a we've donated 50 grand at this point wow well, how much is it per review ten dollars so right yeah. holy cow okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that's a great idea you know some it's simple but man i've never heard that before what a great idea i love that um, yeah, and if you want to put in your article, if anyone wants more information on that specific, specifically, I've got a nice network of Make a Wish through through the United States, and I'd be happy to help get somebody started. That's been a game changer for us. So is the um, is the technician the one who, who's asking for the review? Then I'm I'm assuming at the end of the call there and, and informs the homeowner, hey, you know, this is what we do with Make a Wish. We just appreciate your feedback and. Or does your your because we were talking about your call center? Or do they call behind and say, do they are they asking for the review? I just kind of want to know how you process. Several points of contact. So, uh, like our our relationship with Make a Wish is present on our um, on our web page, so it's immediately visible to most people who find us sort of organically. Anyways, we we present it at the initial call. Our technicians present it at the end of the call, and then we send them a survey via Service Titan um, after the call is gone, so it, it eases the process for them to just go on and click. That's great. That's fantastic. Oh, uh, boy. Let's see here. I guess, you know, the one thing people love to talk about, I always kind of save it for last, but, you know, you've got, you're growing, you guys have exploded, right? I'm, well, I was told you're at, you hit, you're going to hit 12 million this year? We'll, we'll land somewhere between 11 and 12. 11 and 12. That's amazing. Uh, that means you got to find calls for these people to run, right? To sell. I know you've increased your prices, so that helps increase revenue. But um, where where are the increased calls? Is it just coming from the online reviews? Uh, do you guys do a lot of calling out? Um, so, anyways, what what like where where's the additional uh, inflow of calls coming from? Most of the additional inflow of calls has come by way of by way of our enhanced reputation like we uh we have uh had a very modest advertising budget budget up until like fourth i mean basically over the last couple of months here james and i decided to pull the trigger and and start advertising okay um but uh, up and up until this point like i think we're spending less than two percent of our of our uh, gross on advertising um but uh, with the reviews being the way they are and being a very response driven um 
response-driven industry. Yeah. Heater breaks, customer goes online, searches best heating company near me. Yeah. CM Heating has 5,000 reviews. <laughs> Somebody else has 20. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with the one that appears to be trusted more. Yeah. And so a lot of it's come organically. And then on top of that, our utility programs, like our energy providers, have uh, registered contractor lists. And so we've climbed to the top of uh, those lists as well. Um, which generates more more trust and more uh, qualified leads to us. How do you do that? Now, how does that work? How do you get to the top of that list? It's by it's done by volume of work. Oh, okay. So more people were finding us and doing business with us. Or sorry, I should say more people were finding us, and then uh, and then more people were closing with us because our uh, our sales process has improved significantly from the way it was and we do more work that qualifies for their rebate program which bumps us closer to the top of the list we've actually been at the top of their list for four out of the last five years but the last two years since we've been uh sgi partners we've like dominated it like we're we're doing what numbers two three and four are put together at this point wow that's that's yeah good for you guys good for you yeah and two and numbers two and three are fed by Costco too. So I mean, holy cow! Yeah. <laughs> now you said you just pulled the trigger on some marketing. What are you guys looking to do? Are you working with someone? Or are you just kind of dabbling in it? We're working with a media group that was introduced to us through uh, one of our distributors. Okay. Uh, and a lot of it is branding, um, branding via TV and what's called over the top. Uh, so like. Uh, YouTube and Hulu and those sorts of things, yeah. and uh, followed with some modest social and PPC campaigns. We, we've we found PPC to not be terribly effective in our market, but yeah. uh, we've got a defensive sort of campaign going. Sure, sure. Now, every market's different for sure. This is great. Um, I guess just uh, in summary, you know, I, I ask James, I'll ask you, um, you know, why are you, I mean, I, I, it's clear to see why you're excited about the business, but maybe in your own words, why are you excited about where you're going? Where do you guys, where do you want to go? Where do you want to see CM Heating? Uh, just kind of want to put a bow on it and get your response to that. So for me, and I, I'm going to dive right back into this Disney thing, man. Uh, my, my grandfather was the, the coolest, happiest guy I've ever known, right? He he was a he was an Italian immigrant. Came here with his parents with literally nothing. Yeah. Uh, worked for his dad as a as a gardener uh, in in Hollywood Hills area for a very long time. Um, didn't spend any, any of his money when he was a kid, and, and ended up uh, he went into the military, saved some more money, came back out. When he came out, he had saved a, a modest amount of money to start up a landscaping business. Mm-hmm. And happened to be hired by uh, by Disney um, to to do their services at that time. They, they do it all in house now, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. But at the time was uh, was hired out to uh, to do stuff, and he he fell in love with this idea of uh, 
a place where everyone can be happy. The people that worked there were so happy. The people that worked for them were so happy. The customers who paid to work there were so happy. And people were happy to shell out whatever amount of money it cost to be a part of that happiness. And nobody had to feel bad about charging what they were charging because that's what it costs to do business right. And and in in doing it, you're creating this like this culture and this you know this uh, this. The, the, the center of happiness in, in his universe, right? Yeah. And so, uh, so I, after I got out of the military, I came up, I came up north uh, to to be with some friends, and so the the idea of pursuing Disney sort of left my reality. Um, and again, I'm not a like I'm not a software guy, so it's not something I could do remotely. Yeah. Uh, so the the idea of being a part of some something similar, something something that was just a truly great entity where everyone was happy working there, and it was like this sort of coveted thing to work for, where people were not only happy to work there, but like banging down your doors to work there, and customers were banging down your doors to give you their money and those sorts of things. Yeah. I feel incredibly fortunate to uh, to have found and surrounded myself with a crew of people who are making that dream a reality. We we would like to be the the dominant top of mind company in our market for at least for HVAC, possibly for other home services as well. We want to be indisputably the choice place for anyone to work, and um, you know we want to create an awesome environment and family where you know people want to be you know want to be part of that and, and seek us out, and we have to. Um, you know, we have too many people trying to get in the door here, and and, and so uh, you know, customers wanting, seeking us out for who we are, yeah. not not just what we do. That's James Garner and John Giacomi of CM Heating. Thanks for listening to the show. If you feel like you have a great story worth sharing that would also help other contractors, email me at bhouchen at yoursgi.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a rating. Remember, friends give fives. You've been listening to the Successful Contractor Podcast, powered by Success Group International. Support for this podcast comes from Vital Storm. Vital Storm is a growing team of creative thinkers who are passionate about driving leads through local search. Our model for <clears throat> support for this podcast comes from Vital Storm. Vital Storm is a growing team of creative thinkers who are passionate about driving leads through local search. Our model for acquiring, tracking, and reporting leads is tailored toward the home service industry. Whether it's PPC, SEO, or social media, we convert internet traffic into qualified leads via a unique process of creating design and campaign management that produces results relevant to your industry, market, and company. For more information, go to vitalstorm.com. The Successful Contractor Podcast is a part of the Success Group International family. SGI is the largest member-owned best practices organization for independent residential services contractors. SGI provides its members a competitive edge through proven proprietary management tools and expertise, marketing programs, training, and group buying power, along with a highly active and eager-to-help membership. For more information about Success Group International, visit www.yoursgi.com.
Successful Contractor Podcast is copyrighted 2020 by Aquila Investment Group, LLC. All rights reserved.